Estate Coaching Radio, America's number one trusted resource for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Starring award-winning real estate coaches Tim and Julie Harris. Get ready for unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what is truly working to get you into action and make you money in this new real estate boom. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Today by Raf Howry, the CEO and founder of Cocoon. Raf started Cocoon with the mission to transform the home remodeling industry from an offline, fragmented, and frustrating undertaking to an online, modern, and user-friendly experience. His early career began with an interest in pursuing work as an architect before going on to work in the technology sector. In his personal life, Raff bought and renovated old homes as a hobby throughout the years, which allowed him to learn the secrets of the renovation trade. A conversation with a real estate agent and friend triggered the concept for Cocoon. His goal was to take away the anxieties associated with home renovation and bring transparency to the process. Now, let's welcome Raff to the call as we join our host, Tim Harris. So listeners, this was an interesting opportunity for us to speak with someone uh, who has really kind of been there, done that, but from a different perspective than our usual guests. Have, you, know, you, you guys know that Julie and I sold real estate, all of you, 99% of you, 137,000 thousand of you that listen on a regular basis. You guys are actively selling real estate as well. One of the challenges that we always had when we sold real estate it was that you'd walk into a house, the buyer would like the house. And then, uh, you know, they would get overwhelmed because maybe they wanted to do a room addition or a kitchen remodel or things like that. And sometimes that would lose the sale. And the flip side is also true is that you would have a walk into a listing appointment in an older neighborhood and the house needs some work. And there's, you know, how much is the the kitchen that needs that's the original 1950s? You know, how much is that going to cost to remodel? And so there was no transparency. It was always very difficult to really put numbers to all these things. And I can, when I heard about uh, Cocoon, I thought, well, that would be a really cool system to have had when I sold real estate because then you could, you know, be working with those buyers. And when you walked into a house that checked maybe eight out of the ten boxes thereafter, but, you know, and did need a remodel or they did want to, you know, change a room or whatever, there would be a quick and easy way to get a really good idea of what something would cost. And then also get an idea of what the house would be worth with uh, post-renovations. So without any further delay, Ralph, I want to thank you for being my co-host today and introducing our audience to your really cool uh, service. I appreciate it very much, and thanks for being my co-host. Tim, thank you very much for having me on the show. Um, so you talked about the fact that you were doing some home remodeling and that you were, you know, there's a lot of, I think for the past 20 years, it's become America's obsession, really, real estate and, you know, home remodeling and all that. What were your frustrations that led to you innovating uh, in this direction? Well, actually, uh, if you, I recall my first flip. Uh, that was uh, quite a frustrating experience because I didn't know where to start. I had no idea what do you do first, what do you do second. And then uh, kind of my innocence led me to it, unfortunately, and then you start to find all these little hidden layers of lack of information. You don't know what things should cost, how long they should take. When you get a bid from a contractor, you have no idea how to evaluate it. You don't even know, are you doing the right thing? I remember um, I was at least smart enough to talk to my realtors constantly saying, hey, I'm doing this. Is this a good idea if I have to resell the home one day? 
And so actually that was quite helpful. So not knowing what I'm getting into, not knowing who should I hire, what should I look for, what, how much should it cost me, and then how do I know that, hey, I'm not going to get into a money pit here where you start to spend so much money and you don't know where this is going to end. So all, these lack, all this lack of information, lack of transparency, makes it really hard for anybody to make that decision. And so over time, I kind of learned the uh, tricks of the trade. I made a few mistakes, of course. It didn't happen free. But, um, you know, with, with time, I kind of figured out, okay, well, you know what? All these problems can be actually fixed. It's just that nobody bothered to do it. And so that's how that was triggered. And when uh, my realtor friend told me, hey, about 20% of her uh, customers don't buy, they end up moving or uh, sort of relocating or staying renting, I was like, hold on, 20%, that's a captive audience. If I came to you as a realtor and I want to buy a home, I want to buy a home. So if one out of five leave, that's a major problem. That's a whole market that's, that's kind of disappearing. That's how it started the whole thing. What do you mean by that? I'm kind of confused. When, when you said that they leave, what were you referring to? So, so what she had referred, she said, well, I have a lot of customers. After a year, they all want this moving condition home because they don't want to renovate. They are afraid that if they have to do something to this kitchen, it's going to be another money pit. I don't know what the out-of-pocket is. There's sort of this whole inconvenience is making them scared, and they don't want to buy the mm. home. And so they want a moving condition home. They can't afford it. And so they, they're stuck. They either stay renting or they're moving. And I checked everywhere. And actually, there's truth to that. So I do, I remember when I was shopping for a home at one point, like, well, this, this takes a lot of work. I don't want to bother going to find somebody. And I don't know how much, how much I'm going to end up spending. So I could see where that hesitation can, can, move away, uh, can move away a customer from actually buying a good property, even though if it's in the right school district, the right location, but just the fear of what they have to go through to make it happen scares them away. I think we can fix that. Oh, yeah, I get it now 100%. You're right. And having sold real estate, you're 100% right. You could have somebody that was perfectly qualified, and like I said, the house you show them checks eight out of the ten boxes, but there's some sort of you know scary-looking project in the house, and that by itself is enough to make them you know run back to being tenants. In some cases, you know, what's, what's uh, sad about situations like that is the lack of knowledge is actually, you know, invoke, it creates these fear-based decision-making processes, and those sometimes people, those, will miss, those folks miss out on opportunities uh, to ever own a home. I remember when I sold real estate, there were people, you know, that were buying their first home in their 40s and their 50s and their 60s. And there's going to be, I think, that's not going to be unusual uh, in this, you know, at this time. There's a lot of people that are procrastinating. There's a lot of people that basically have lack of knowledge. And guys, I know there's lots of arguments out there, and this isn't the topic of today's show, about the financial merits of being a tenant versus a, an owner. But here, at the end of the day, guys, uh, you need a place to live. You're always going to have a housing expense. And even if you were to relocate, you could keep that house hypothetically as a rental. So it's really difficult ultimately to make the argument against owning. Over time, you're going to be better off if you're a homeowner versus a renter in most markets. And it's not always true, obviously, if things are overinflated. But, yeah, I can see walking into a house with a buyer, the buyer not liking the kitchen, and maybe the buyer getting dissuaded and going the opposite direction. But if I could show them on your service essentially what that kitchen would cost to renovate, that makes all the difference in the world. I really appreciate that. But, you know, I was thinking as you were talking, there's a flip side to it too. 
I remember going on listing appointments, and the sellers would have done some sort of like over-personalization to something, and they'll expect somehow that they're going to get 100% return on their investment, or even more so, they're going to make money at it, somehow makes their house worth more. All the listing agents out there are laughing as I say this, because they've all had these situations before. So I'm just curious, from your own experience, we, we think we know the things that are actually the best places to put money investing renovation-wise into a house, but from your, your research creating this, what have you found to be the best place to invest money when renovating a house? Where is well, it you're going to get maybe even make money? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, clearly, anything visible makes a big difference. Anything that's sort of hidden doesn't always do a whole lot. We are all shoppers by uh, use on our eyes rather than our brain. And so uh, clearly, we all know that kitchens and bathrooms really do well, right, because they are so visible. This is where you spend most of your material uh, money, right? So you're spending more on the kitchen because you have marble, you have tiles, you have sinks and faucets. So you're spending a lot, and it's all visible. You make it shiny, people get enamored by that. So that always does well, of course. Um, the first is sort of like that curb appeal, that whole idea that have beautiful-looking windows, doors that look good, gleaming, the flooring being shiny, all of that does well. Where it starts to kind of... Uh, you know, uh, hurt a little bit is areas where that require a lot of maintenance. Pools, for example, is what we found don't do a whole lot. Sometimes they do well, sometimes they don't. Uh, things such as changing piping or electrical, even the water heater, all of that, they're kind of nice, but it's not going to add a whole lot of value to the house. And so it's simplistically speaking, if it shows to the eye, it does well. If it doesn't, it doesn't do that well. Well, let, let's hover thing. there. You, you, well, Roth, I'm sorry for interrupting you. Let, let's just hover yeah. there for a second because you just said something that's really important that our listeners understand. And this is really, really difficult to explain to a seller. So listeners, believe me, I've been there, done that. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> but he just said something critical. The stuff you can't see, generally speaking, is not necessarily going to bring any additional value to the house. So, for example, if you replace the furnace and the air conditioning and the windows and all these types of things – um, and a lot of new agents are listening. Guess what, guys? Generally speaking, if you spend a dollar, you're not going to – it maybe nothing back or maybe a 10 cents back because the house is uh, – the buyer is walking in assuming it's got a good furnace, windows, and air conditioning. Now, if they're trying to choose between two houses and they're bo both equal in the buyer's mind, which, by the way, never happens, and one does have newer – stuff that you can't see, the windows and the roofs and things like that, then generally speaking, the buyer's going to choose the house for the newer stuff. But for the most part, that you're going to get your greatest return on investment, Mr. – you know, this is you talking with a seller – when you, you know, fix the stuff that folks can see. But even, Raph, even at that, do any of these things give folks a 100% return on investment or let alone is it something that can turn a profit? Um, I think profit is questionable. You will get it back. I don't think you'll get a profit. And sometimes you won't get it back. It depends on where you live, right? I mean, we all know it's also depending on the condition of the real estate environment around you. So mm -hmm. uh, you you will not lose anything. You have to market it. There's no doubt about that. But it's not going to uh, convince a customer to buy a home or to pay extra for it, right? They'll think that's something you should have been doing anyway. Uh, but anything that they will use every day and they will feel it, they will touch it, and they can have their eyes see it, it's going to make a big difference. The rest, I, we did not see that. One of the things we've done, Tim, is we've taken a look at the permit data. So, for example, we pulled uh, the sale history of homes. We've looked at homes that, for example, had moved within five years, and we looked at 
whether they had permits during that, what happened in that permit, what was the scope, what was spent, what was the transaction like, uh, did they really make money? Then we looked at other things such as, well, was the market doing well or was it dropping? And basically, that's how we sort of extracted the value. And we did see certain things really clearly is that kitchens and bathrooms always, always do well. If, and things like uh, pools don't always do well. Anything infrastructural didn't really make a huge difference, to be honest with you. So it's it's quite visible. We're all we all shop uh, with our own eyes, and uh, this whole concept of looking at where the return on investment is is unfortunately still on on a superficial side, right? Because often sometimes the harder jobs are the more infrastructural type of uh, jobs, but people will never recognize that. That's the unfortunate. So a Harvard, I'm reading some of my notes, but yes, that's exactly. And again, if you're just, if you're new in real estate or if you haven't studied this for a long time, or I mean, even some experienced agent, they always, this is an easy mistake to make. You know, the it's crazy too to consider, but it's so true. Renovations for the most part, guys, they're, you know, you're not going to get your money back out of them. It might make the house more sellable, but it doesn't actually increase any additional value. Um, these are important things for folks to understand. Agents, please listen to this. We're coming into a transition market. Everybody knows that. We've been talking about it for over a year. We're anticipating a slowdown in housing. Now it's obvious. So with that in mind, you're going to have to become really, really good at pricing homes. And when you go on that listing appointment today and you talk to that seller, <laughs> the seller thinks they're gold-plated turrets somehow are making the house worth more money, you know, what I would do is I would share with them the information that you're learning on this uh, event, on this radio show, but maybe even turn, turn them over to his uh, website so they can kind of plug in the numbers themselves and actually see. And uh, in, in that way, you're not necessarily the bearer of bad news, but you do need to have this information yourself so you can help people make informed decisions and position their houses on the market correctly to reflect this market and the market that we're coming into. So there's a Harvard Center for Housing study that reveals that spending on remodeling and repairs will climb 8.6% this year to $310 billion and will hit 9.7% uh, in first quarter of 2017. Um, where do you see, like, is there... When you're following those patterns and using that information, is it is that just spread evenly all over the country? Or are we seeing a lot more of that remodel work happening in like the sand states? Or I'm just curious about that information yeah. um, from Harvard. Yeah, the top 15 major towns are clearly the top towns, right? New York is by far spends the most, and that's for obvious reasons. Followed by LA, um, and then you've got pretty much the warmer major metros. Houston, Dallas, uh, Miami—they all do uh, spend, uh, you know, significant amount of money. Of course, Chicago and Seattle. So it's almost the top 15 towns do really, really well. When you go beyond that, the spend drops by less than half. So the difference between, for example, uh, let's just say Minneapolis and maybe Cincinnati is is huge. Um, that's where most of the spend. And also remember, also I think the weather plays a, a big part of that. Certain parts of the states um, are um, more prone to uh, weather conditions that make repair work uh, turn into a renovation work. So the Northeast Corridor does a lot of that spending, even in the middle of winter. I recall when we started, we thought, well, nobody's going to be looking at renovation in the winter uh, in, in on the Northeast uh, Corridor. Well, I was quite surprised it, because sometimes you do it because you have to do it. You had a snowstorm, you had a, a winter storm, and suddenly you have to redo the, your entire kitchen and you end up doing the entire thing. So um, 
uh, clearly there's a big difference between the big towns and the uh, mid-sized towns in terms of spend. Uh, but uh, New York and L.A. by far spend a lot more than any other town. There were some – I don't remember the numbers. Maybe you know them. There was a surprisingly large amount of money that's spent after some, after a home purchase, like on renovations and window coverings and patios and whatever else. Do you remember how how, that, how much that number is on average? It's about 55000 is the average, right? And uh, at times it goes to about one hundred and fifty. And 60% of new home buyers will renovate. So you, if you look at that 60%, most of them end up with 55 to about $100,000 out-of-pocket. And sometimes I mean, these that things is, that they That's staggering. For. Yeah. Yeah, but that, that is a really surprisingly big number, isn't it? But you I know what? Think, think, about think about it. Yeah. Your home is your biggest emotional investment. It is an investment, but it's also an emotional investment, right? So you are mm-hmm. attached to it. It has a, it has a, an emotional meaning and a physical meaning to you. So often you walk in and you start to say, I want to make it my home. Actually, that's how we, we renamed the company Cocoon after the actual – you make it a nest. So you start without you knowing. You start to kind of make it – you, right? And you start to spend the money you don't notice. You're excited by the new purchase. You're excited by that feeling you have, and you're going to spend the money on it, and people don't think twice about it that much. Yeah, it is. You're right. It is an emotional decision, and they do make emotional purchases, and it's for all the reasons you state. You know, it's funny that after the housing crash, there was all these smart white papers and reports and you know all these things that came out that said basically people are going to give up on home ownership it's no longer part of the american dream and it's like you know no the exact opposite is true and people are actually going to run back home and reinvest in home and they're going to want to make it something that really is the cornerstone of their lives and we're seeing that movement even more building even more momentum now you you've done some really cool research i really like this part of what you've done uh studying how Millennials versus, say, my generation, Generation X, or the baby boomers, your your research has proven that millennials actually they want to be more actively uh, participating in home renovations. Tell us about that. Yeah, sure. So actually, uh, actually, not surprising. Uh, the one thing that we know and we've seen first, they want to live in major town centers. They don't want to live in suburbia. Right, so that's just one thing. They want to be close to that Starbucks. They want to be close to that bar, to that restaurant. They want a bike. It's a common theme. And so, when you think about that, you buy, you end up buying homes in relatively older neighborhoods, and that are mostly built up. So the chances of you getting a new home is very low. The other thing is they are quite interested in the environment. So they actually look at an old home as something that has character that they want to make it into a modern home. So there's there's this combination between being environmentally responsible and also wanting to live in town centers, which tend to be old, basically old infrastructure, and they have no choice but renovating. The thing that stands in their way is often is they look at this and say, you know, I don't know how people have done this one. How have they, how have they done this renovation thing? Because there's no tool, and they're used to convenience. If you think about millennials, they use technology for everything they do. They expect everything to be available 24 by 7 because they're always on messaging somebody. They're on social media somewhere somehow, and they expect things to happen. And so you're seeing that right now. And we, we were, when I started building the business case a long time ago, I had assumed that my biggest the, – the interested party would be between 40 and 55. Well, surprise, surprise – 
it was 50% almost on people under 35. And why? Because we've given them a technology solution. They have an answer quick, a quick answer to a, a, a question they have. They're not used to waiting for a, a contractor to show up a week later to tell them that that kitchen is going to cost $50,000. They want to know the answer right now. They don't understand why they have to do that. So they don't understand why they have to call their cousin to find out a good contractor. So all of this stuff has kind of made them gravitate towards this, this solution, and we're seeing more on that. And we get more feedback from them, too. And so um, I actually started to tailor more to their needs because they're more willing to adopt technology, and they like that we're giving them quick answers. They want convenience, and they want uh, to live in sort of old neighborhoods, that, and they want to rent, uh, basically gentrify it. You'll see a lot of that stuff. You see them taking the, these old homes, and they want to open that space up, and they want to keep that old tile, they want to keep that old brick, but they want to put a modern feel to it. So they'll start to mix and match. It's a very different buyer. It's a very different user, and I think we, we need to recognize that and tailor to that. So I'm curious how you how accurate, like when you're – I know it's like a whole – process your cocoon it's called mycocoon.com mm. you know we should spell it because a lot of our listeners are millennials and they're going to want to go there so it's <laughs> uh it's it, it's my then it's it's just as it sounds can you spell the rest just it's not cocoon like so mycocoon m-y-k-u-k-u-n so um it's k-u-k-u-n so mycocoon.com and it's a play on the word cocoon so it's just a, a, a kind of a, a whimsical way of saying the word nest so, yeah, got it. Um, so someone comes, someone goes to, to kind of walk us through the process. So I'm thinking about, uh, you know, rem- everything. You're, I'm your, I'm your millennial uh, potential uh, user, uh, you know, and I, I found a house I'm interested in buying. How, how much deviation from what your results are going to be from your website am I going to find in the real world? Like I eventually have to deal with a contractor. Is how different is the contractor's bid going to be, or? price range yeah. going to be than what you're, you're telling me, stuff like that. I'm sure that's a, a sure. common question. Yeah, sure. So first of all, you're talking about the estimator. So uh, the estimator that we have, it, we basically act like a construction company. We take the construction books and we act like we are a construction company and we kind of sit down and say, all right, what do you need to build for that kitchen? And we estimate the cost and we take the cost of material and labor from those books and they are known books that are published yearly. Then we add a margin because contractors have to put a margin on it. Of course, we give the customer a bit of a variation. So, for example, we not we say there are different type of finish level. There's a makeover. A makeover finish level is I just want to make it look pretty. You know, realtors use that all the time in the Bay Area here. So, mm-hmm. because that's when they what they do usually to get a house ready for sale. And then we have a full renovation. Then we have something uh, like an overhaul where you take it down to the stud. So we play with a little bit of the scope. The variation that we've seen, we've the basically the the we take every uh, we've taken about 15 major metros we've taken them to contractors in each uh, part of uh, each part of that town and said can you validate this looks good and the answer came out to be 90% accurate that's our average is what we saw oh. i think if you look at it differently i the only purpose of this is to replace you having to call a contractor get him to come to your house to just give you a number he's not interested to come until you're ready to actually renovate and you don't have time to wait for him to come so 
think of it this way. He's going to come and he's going to also guess it, right? Our guest is a lot more educated than his guest because we look at every aspect of it. So in terms of estimate, uh, we're quite confident that it's the, it's a, a good baseline. Now, what it doesn't play, what doesn't kind of factor in is there are contractors that will put more margin or whose cost is much higher for uh, whatever reason they incur a cost of marketing. So sometimes they're going to be more expensive. But you know what the baseline looks like. You know what it should really cost at the end of the day, and you can take, their, you take it from there to, to negotiate. Now, if you look at uh, the next dilemma you have is, uh, let's just say you found three contractors that you liked, and you say, you know what, I want a quote from each one of you. Today, you're going to get three quotes, and if you're just going to use the estimate to kind of compare, you're not going to lose much, uh, that, you're not going to win that argument with them, because it's going to be, every one of them will have enough reasons to tell you why their price is the way it is, and most of us will not have the know-how to really to, to check it out, right? So we'll, it takes a lot of knowledge. So one of the things we've added uh, just recently is a standard way for them to give you a quote. So in other words, instead of you receiving a word in an Excel and every one of them kind of gives you their own way of pricing their project, we created an entire quote process that is standard and they can, if they use it, you're going to get comparable quotes and you can see clearly where the money is going. And All so right, that's not genius. Yeah, so that's that's we want to put some standards, and that's what actually the millennials want. They want something that says, oh, "Give me an answer quickly. I don't have time to read an, a word document," which is the case. Yeah, right? that, so, that's so that solves so many problems. You're right because one of the big concerns that anyone who's not is not familiar with the phases of construction is not going to, which is most of us, that, you know, they're not going to know whether there's hidden costs or they're not going. They're, most people just go with the lowest bidder. Not knowing that, oh, by the way, the lowest bidder didn't include all the things that the highest bidder who gave you, let's just be honest, a more honest bid that he included in his estimate. And so what you're doing is you're forcing them to use a, uh, essentially a, a format so that uh, the, the buyer can use you know, apples to apples comparisons. I love it. It's a great idea. Exactly. Not even that. We even go and check if, for example, and this happened to me on my first renovation where when I got to the end, I recognized that they priced my flooring to be at $1 a linear foot. Now, you know what kind of flooring you will buy for $1, right? Of course, I was, I was not smart enough to know that, right? So, and eventually, I ended up having to do the entire flooring out of pocket at $6 a linear foot at the time, and look what it did to my budget. Now, what we do here is if we see something that was priced under something that's normal, we'll say, hey, this looks a little under, check the pricing of, of flooring so that you sort of also have a bit more intelligent way to compare the bids. So we will flag if something does not look normal. We won't say, hey, don't take it. We'll just say, this looks outside the range. Check it out. So you're like coaching them. You say basically this is this doesn't right. look right. You might want to drill down on this a little bit and ask why they're you know coming in under what we think it should be and make sure they're including the grout. You know, make that sure they're not right. just quoting yeah. you. Right. I love it. That's a great yeah. idea. You know, yeah. I was thinking if yeah, there's there's a lot of people that are looking for and not our space. We're not we don't do investor stuff, but there are a ton of people out there that you know want to get on the home remodeling, home flipping. I mean, you were doing that. And, you know, that's, and depending on your market, that could be a really great way to make money. Yeah. Um, and this is a yeah. killer way for the for the new flipper, really, to kind of maybe stem the risk that, frankly, burns most flippers is not really knowing their numbers. And this is a really great tool to have in your back pocket. I love it. 
Um, Absolutely. So if they want to get a hold of you, if they want to do, uh, if they want to check out the site, uh, let's give them all the different ways that they can connect with you. Um, and uh, I would also suggest, uh, Raf, that you also tell them maybe your direct cell phone number, because you might get calls from, you know, we have a lot of brokers, uh, we have a lot of office managers, we have a lot of, you know, big real estate folks that listen to us occasionally, and this would be a cool thing. I would think, um, real estate folks, if you're doing a large event, if you're doing a, if you want to have a speaker in, if you want to, if you have a something like that, this would be a really neat thing to expose your agents to it for no other reason that gives them a another tool in their toolbox to help their buyers and sellers make smart decisions. So how can how can folks connect with you, Roth? Sure. So, of course, my email is very simple. It's Roth at mycocoon.com, uh, and my cell phone is 571-436-0587, 571-436-0587. Uh, of course, you can also reach us out on mycocoon.com. There's a contact us button. Just push it, and we, I will personally handle it. Uh, I can also tell you, since you mentioned this one, we just um, uh, agreed with a uh, uh, with uh, a uh, real estate agency here in the Bay Area. We're going to be listed on every listing they have. So there's a button that's going to be there. It's going to say, here's the cost of renovation for every room in that house. Here's the ROI on it. And better than that, we're saying, here are the contractors who worked on the neighborhood. And you can check their profile, every contractor's profile. You can see their permit data, what they've done. Uh, what the scope was, you can also go and knock on that neighbor's door and say, how was your experience? So we want to replace that word about hiring. We want to expand the network. So uh, this is one way we've worked with real estate agencies, and, and they love the idea, and they, they think uh, customers will be excited about it. Oh, they will. And you know what's more is if you have that on your website, listeners, and your competitors don't, they're obviously going to hang out on your website a little bit longer. I love that idea. That's a great way. And we should have talked about that earlier. So also, listing agents, there's a really clever way, an extra unique selling proposition, USP, you can offer to your sellers. You know, for their listing, they can have uh, Mike Cocoon on, um, you know, on, on your website to, you know, if it's a house that's in one of these areas where people typically will move in and renovate right away, which is, you know, pretty much the most expensive areas in the country. That's the normal behavior. Yeah, this is a really, really, really creative. And I'd, I actually, as you, were in, you and I were talking about this, I'm actually kind of stunned that no one's done this before. There's been little pieces and parts of this idea, but certainly not like a one-stop solution where folks can kind of, you know, walk themselves through it and educate themselves. Because truthfully, the contracting process of doing any home renovation and always worrying about whether or not you're going to get ripped off or not, that's a major concern of everyone. Even experienced people have that fear. And and with this service, you do at least have I'm I'm a you know, we coach folks for a living, so I'm thinking in my mind, this is a really cool, like very high level coaching tool that gets people going in the right direction and maybe in some cases will help them make oh, I mean in every case will help them make better informed decisions. So yeah, I love it. And thanks for creating it and thanks for being my co host on the radio today. Sure, absolutely. Loved it. And uh, actually, there are more tools. We, if you know, if we have the time, we can discuss them. But there are lots of things. We want to make it a one-stop shop. We will hopefully be the price line for home renovation, and we'll be helping everyone get over that hump. Wonderful. Right, have a wonderful day, and listeners will talk with you on the radio tomorrow. Thanks, Ross. Great. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim.
Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.